We're going to talk about the weight of worship today. So this message has been stirring on our hearts for a, a few weeks, maybe coinciding with the upcoming night of work, worship, the awakened night of worship a couple of Fridays from now, or just maybe of what the Lord was wanting to do this morning in our time of worship. Just so, such a sweet um, sense of God's presence with us. And we're always wanting to cultivate more of that culture of worship in this place, in this family. We are worshipers. There is, in some ways, nothing more important than growing as worshipers. I mean, that is our assignment for all of eternity, is to worship God, to be with God, to bask in His presence, to enjoy the presence of God for all eternity, to give God glory as we encounter him face to face, as we behold his beauty, his majesty, his nature, his character, and our hearts respond with gratitude, with praise, with joy, and God is glorified. And so there's a, a couple specific things that I feel like were stirred up this morning. One of them came from a time of meeting with some of the, the leaders of a church, and we were just getting in God's word together. We happened to open Psalm 30 and, and practiced a, a very old way of reading scripture that some like to call Lectio Divina. It means divine reading. It's where you simply open a scripture and, and ask and trust and expect that the Holy Spirit is going to highlight something. He's going to speak to you. Maybe it's just a word, a phrase, an image, a verse, and he's going to want to speak. And we love that truth out of John 10 that the sheep hear his voice. He calls us by name. We hear his voice and he leads us. It's such a beautiful thing that we don't have to be left as orphans in this life, but we have the Holy Spirit. He dwells inside of us and he loves to speak to us, to make his presence known, to hear his voice. So we're being led each and every day it even can be. Not just in massive decisions of life, or those are important, but God wants us to get to know his voice in a way where literally we are led by him. It's such a beautiful and intimate way to live. And as we were practicing that with the scriptures, there was a phrase that stood out to me that was a very curious one. And, and I want to read that for us. And I felt like the Lord really spoke and, and then put a few specific things on, on my heart this morning to share with us about the weight of worship. And as we're continuing to want to cultivate that way of life that we are worshipers, that is a great privilege of being followers of Jesus, of being children of God, is to be worshipers right now. We don't have to wait till eternity. Of course, it's going to be better then, but we don't have to wait. We can cultivate that now in great measure. So I want to read Psalm 30, or a few verses from there. As many psalms get, they kind of get long, and, and we've got a lot of scripture I actually want to read. So I'm going to focus in on a few of the verses. We'll start in, in uh, on verse 1. Psalm 30, I will extol you, O Lord, means lift you up, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol, which means like the pit, the underworld, the darkness. You have restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, 
and give thanks to his holy name. And then down in in verse 11, for you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness so that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. So as is very common in the Psalms, the psalmist here is singing praises to God. Thanks and praise. Thanks and praise. Man, you will see those all over the Psalms, that that dual piece of gratitude and praise. Where the psalmist is thanking God for what he's done, that's gratitude, and praising God for who he is. So in some ways, if you're ever looking for, not a formula, but the, the key ingredients to authentic worship, It's thanks and praise from what God has genuinely done in your life or what God has done genuinely in other people's life that you see and you've encountered it now through their testimony. You see that all the time in the Psalms. Either the psalmist is talking about their personal encounters with God, saying, thank you, God, this is what you have done And therefore, I praise you for who you are because his deeds reveal his character. So the good things that God has done, we thank him for it. And then that shows us his nature and we are in awe of the nature of God. His mercy, his love, his kindness, his faithfulness, the way he steps down into our lives, lifts us up out of the pit. I mean, just look at the Psalms. They are their personal testimony. He's saying, this is what you've done in my life. You lifted me up out of the pit. You turned my mourning into dancing. He's talking about his real life. God is so personal and present and powerful. He's not talking about abstract ideas. He's talking about real life encounter with God. And that leads to thanks, God, for what you've done, and I praise you for who you are. And if it's not that absolute personal encounter of his own story, then he's looking back at the story of God's people, remembering. That's the other key one. Remember what God has done. So he's looking back into the the works of old, how you parted the Red Sea and you saved them and you brought them out of Egypt and you delivered and all these things that God has done. But it's the same idea. It's you look at what God has done, you give him thanks and gratitude, and then it leads you to praise of who he is as his deeds reveal his nature. So it's thanks and praise. It leads to worship. And what I love to see is it's always authentic. It's not about these abstract ideas. It's about personal encounter. And he leads, though, to this very curious phrase. That, that, that This is the phrase that I want to kind of dig into. It's what I felt like the Holy Spirit highlighted to me in our time of Lectio Divina with, with those brothers It comes in verse 12, but we'll go verse 11. You have turned my mourning into dancing, dancing, sorry. (laughs) You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. So sackcloth was put on when you're mourning. So it's mourning to dancing, sackcloth to gladness. And this is the phrase right here. That my glory may sing your praise 
and not be silent. Oh, Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. So there's the praise and thanks, thanks and praise based on what he's done. But the phrase that stood out, verse 12, that my glory may sing your praise. That is a very weird phrase. My glory, that my glory may sing your praise. It stood out, and it was like, wait a second. I thought, you know, the Bible is all about God's glory. The psalmist is saying, you've turned my morning into dancing so that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent, and I will give you thanks. My glory? I thought God's the one with the glory. So it just, you know, as, as is healthy in biblical meditation and prayer, you, a word, a phrase, an image stands out, and you're like, God, what's, what's to that? What is that about? That's, that's a little, there's a little cognitive dissonance going on right now. That the Bible's all about your glory. What is the psalmist talking about where he says, my glory will sing your praise and give thanks? So, spent a little time afterwards and, and looked it up, and what, what is that word glory? That's a good place to start. And it's the word kavod in the Hebrew, which was a familiar word, and it was kind of shocking, to be honest with you, because it's the exact same word for glory that is used of the glory of God all over the Old Testament in some massively uh, important places. Like, for example, when Moses says to God in Exodus 13, or 33, 18, very famously, show me your glory. Very famous, right? That's a plead for, I want the revelation of the nature of God. Show me your glory. It's the exact same word, the kavod. Exodus 24, 7, it says that the appearance of the glory of God was like a devouring fire on the top of Mount Sinai. So this is talking about the presence of God. It's like this awe-inspiring thing. When God responds to Moses' cry to, to encounter his glory, he says this in Exodus 33, 22, while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock. You know, very famously, because God's, got, God's kind of saying, like, you can't handle the, the full revelation of my glory. It's that same exact word, kavod. And lastly for now, but this, is, this, this word is literally used, like I believe, over 200 times. Dozens and dozens of times, almost always talking about the glory of God. Exodus 40, 34, the cloud covered the tent of meeting. So that's kind of the precursor to the temple full of God's presence. And it says, Exodus 40, 34, the cloud covered the tent of meeting and then the glory, the kavod of God, filled the temple. And so it's this big word that has to do with God's presence, his manifest presence right there. Very interestingly, the word kavod literally means weight. There's a weightiness, a heaviness. And it has to do with wealth and riches and honor and significance and importance it's all these words that are trying to describe how the, the awe and the majesty that one feels when in the presence of God, there's like a, there's like a weight, there's like a, a gravitas. You know, they talk about, you know, 
a good actor or actress will have a gravitas when you come, when they, they walk into a scene and there's like this weight, there's a presence about them that's like, whoa, that's the best case scenario, right? That's, that's a little bit, of, a tiny little flavor of this word kavod. There's this weight, this awe, this majesty. I can think of this, this quick little story when I was probably like 20 years old and the first time I was in awe of God that, that in a way that brought me to my knees like physically, I was living in Costa Rica for a year, and there was a, a, a thunderstorm outside. It was like, oh, my gosh. Like, coming back from that, I was like, no, we do not even have storms in Southern California. There was a, a thunder and lightning storm that was, it literally, like, made my heart skip a beat. There was, it was like, uh, you know, the, the loudest gunshot ever going off. It was right outside. There was this little balcony that I had, so I went out there with my buddy, and, you know, it was getting closer and closer. And, and the, the thunder would go off, and it, like, Bible talks about, like, rend the heavens, like, open the heavens. It felt like, you know, the, the crack, but there was a base in it that literally, <laughs> there was, it was terrifying. Like, I felt the terror in my heart. Like, it would happen. It was, it was just like the boom, and I, I really can't describe it other than awe, the fear of God in the healthy way, the awe of the power of God as the heavens cracked and opened before me, it felt like. It was, I could feel my knees get weak. It was like, you know, just the, like, you want to bow down. It's like involuntarily, you are in the presence of something so much bigger and more powerful and more awesome that, that you just, like, start to bow down naturally because you are in a healthy fear of something so much greater than you. And at first, it was like terror, like I'm just scared right now of like, maybe I'm going to die. And there's nowhere to run, there's nowhere to hide, it's huge, it's massive, it's here, and the lightning is like right on top of it. So after a little while, it's just like, we started enjoying it. Like, maybe we're going to die, we were, weren't really thinking that. It was more of like the fear of like terror turned to absolute worship to where we were like little kids waiting on the balcony. You know how kids like kind of like love to be like jump scared a little bit? You know, like we were waiting on the balcony just in anticipation and when the like the crack would come, we were like, we were like, we were jumping up and down and we were like, ah! We're not dead. Yeah! But it was this true terror that turned into worship. And, and it, but it's so interesting how like, those are like closely related in, in a good way where when you are in the presence of God in a way where you feel God's power, you encounter his majesty. At the beginning, there's a, a fear of the Lord that the word in, in the Hebrew and the Greek, fear and awe are the same thing. Reverence, awe, fear. It's the weight of God, the, the glory that makes you just kind of buckle under the recognition of a power that is so much greater than your own. That's why all throughout the Old Testament especially, there is that call for the healthy fear of God, the healthy reverence and awe of God's nature. That's the kavod, is it? do we recognize the weight of the, the glorious, awe-inspiring weight of who God is. And it's 
physical at times, but more deeply than that, it's, it's the spiritual reality of do our hearts bend? Do our knees bend to the glory of who God is? Do we recognize the, the gravitas, the weight of God? And so that's that word all throughout the Old Testament. And, and, and maybe that's part of why that Psalm 30, 12 stuck out to me when it says, my glory will sing your praise, because I, I knew that word. And I'm like, there's no way that's the same word. There's no way. The word to describe the weight of God, it, it, there's no way we could, that could be attached to us. It was just like, that's, that's what is going on? But it, it is, it's the same exact word, and it's right there. That as God turns our mourning into dancing, our, our, the sackcloth into this, these garments of gladness, so that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. Oh, Lord, I will give you thanks forever. What is going on? But in that you know, time of, of, of just reflection and listening, meditation on his word, Holy Spirit, what are you saying? It really didn't take long. For God to, I believe, make the connection of like, of course you carry a glory. You're my child. You are made in my image. My glory has been imparted to you in creation and in salvation. I mean, you go back to Genesis, and what does it say? Is this not glory? Do you not carry glory when God says, let us make humanity in our image and likeness? that they may rule on earth? That's the idea, is that God infused all of humanity with the image and likeness of God. We carry his glory, and that's why he gave us that mandate to go be fruitful and multiply and, and rule the earth, because we are meant to reflect his glory out into the world like nothing else in creation does. And so... In that alone, that beautiful, creative act of God, there is a glory of God that has been instilled, put upon each and every single one of us. Each individual, and that's something that is so fascinating about the philosophy of the Bible, if you will. And if, if you think about other religions and politics and worldviews, there is no other like the Judeo-Christian worldview that from the very beginning says that there is inherent worth, there is an inherent worth, a glory you could call it, in each and every individual. That the individual has glory, has so much value, you could call it a glory. And where does that value and worth come from is because God created us in his image. Some philosophers like to call it like the divine individual, that there is a divine value in each and every person that exists. And from that, so much flows, like the notion of individual human rights that did not exist before this worldview was permeated into culture. And it comes from the notion of, though we don't use that language a lot because we want to reserve it for God, it comes from the glory that you carry. 
the glory that God chose to instill in each and every person, creating them in his likeness and image. So we get to have the privilege now, by God's design, to uniquely carry some of his glory. And now what the psalmist is saying is we get to choose to bring that to God in thanks and praise, that we truly have something weighty that God gave us, and we have the privilege now to give it back to God in worship. Because here's the reality, and I am emphasizing the choice. We're all choosing to give our glory to something. We're all singing something's praises. We've all put our hope in something. We're all grateful for something. Who's ever and whatever praises you are singing is where you're putting your glory. You're giving your glory to them. And God is a jealous God who wants to see us take that glory that he's given us and bring it to him in thanks and praise. But to think about the privilege that that is, that we have something weighty to give to God. In genuine relationship with him, we have a gift to bring, thanks and praise, and that there is truly a a divine weight on that, a gravitas, a glory, a kavod, that the Bible says it is a weighty thing. Who you give your glory to has a deep weight to it. Oh, what a privilege it is, the psalmist says, to to take my glory and give it to God in thanks and praise. It even feels weird saying it. But that's how much value there is in where you and I choose every day to put our thanks and praise. Where we put our worship has great weight and value to God. Are we glorifying Him Or are we glorifying a lesser idol? So there is great weight that we have the privilege to bring to God. And even in this psalm, it's specifically talking about singing. Now, yes, our entire lives have the opportunity to worship the Lord, and we don't want to minimize that in any way. Romans 12.1, as we will look at it in a minute, talks about that offering our lives, offering our entire selves, offering our entire bodies as living sacrifices to God. This is our acceptable worship. That's what he's worth. He's worth everything. But I want to focus on what the psalm is talking about, where it's specifically to sing to God, to have a song to sing, a song of thanks and praise is a weighty, a glorious action. And we are all singing the praises of someone. And so the psalmist over and over try to encourage us, put that song that glory song of your heart to the only one who's worthy. 
But I want to make it simple and practical. How do we see evidence of this weight of worship that the psalmist says is there? The weightiness of worship. So one, here it is. Throughout our day, we can bring songs of thanks and praise. And as we do that, to sing to the Lord with thanks and praise is to bring God something that he enjoys. Think about that for a moment. There's so much weight in that phrase. To have the privilege of being created in God's image and his likeness, to carry a certain glory of the Lord, and now as his redeemed children, filled with the Holy Spirit, to live lives of worship on a daily basis, we can bring songs of thanks and praise that bring God something that God enjoys. There is so much weight to that. That what you choose to do with your lips on a daily basis can be a song of thanks and praise that God enjoys, that God delights in, that you, in relationship with God, can bring something that brings pleasure to God. That is a weight of glory. Let's check it out in God's word. Psalm 141. The psalmist is singing this as a worship song. Psalm 141, verse 2. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice. So he's referring back to the, the regulations of worship that the people of Israel had been given by God on Mount Sinai and, and after that, ways of worship and curiously, incense was one of them. Burning incense, a sweet aroma to God, but it's a metaphor. It's a metaphor of what? Worship, right here. He's saying, let my prayer be as that sweet-smelling aroma to you, God. And, we all, and the Psalms were sung. So, like we've said before, every, worship, every good worship song is simply a prayer with a soundtrack. So the Psalms are prayers with soundtracks. So as he's singing to God, he says, let this prayer be a sweet-smelling aroma to you, God. That is a weighty thought. That when you come to God in worship, you are, it's a song, it's, an, it's incense to God. I know Khalid loves that song. Day and night, night and day, let incense rise. What is that song talking about? It's our worship is a sweet-smelling aroma to God. That's the way he set it up from the beginning of the regulations of worship. That the prayers of the saints, the worship of the saints, is sweet-smelling to God. It pleases God when we choose to bring our glory to worship him. This is confirmed in Revelation 5.8 where it says the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense which are the prayers of God's people. 
And then they're singing songs right there in Revelation 5.8. So prayer and worship is right again, right together. Worship is those prayers with a soundtrack. So they're singing in heaven and, and they're falling down before God. There, there's that bowing. There's that gravitas, the kavod, the weight of God. They bow down. They worship. And it's the prayers of the saints that are bowls full of incense to God. What's the point? Meaning, it's a pleasing aroma. God delights in the prayer and worship of his people. That is such a weighty reality. That when you wake up in the morning, you have the option and opportunity to choose to focus on things, the testimony of your life, what God has done, who he is, what he's done all throughout the entire word of God, that is your testimony too. If you're ever looking for something because you can't really remember what God's done, there's always the cross. You're like, oh, I'm trying to remember. God, what have you done for me lately? <laughs> that should not be a hard question. But it is sometimes, right? Because it's like, oh, life's hard. I can't even remember if you love me. The cross has answered the question always and forever and the resurrection proved that it can be trusted the cross god incarnating living the perfect life going through hell on our behalf what we deserve so we can get what he deserves all of heaven is now our inheritance as we are co-heirs with christ and treated as adopted children of God. That's Christ's inheritance that is now ours as we trust in him, his perfect life and death on our behalf, the savior of the world. That is our testimony. And everything else in God's word is our story as well. This is who God is, what God has done for his people, for us, preparing us for eternity with him. So we have a choice every day. Are we going to focus on that or are we going to put our focus on other places and sing the praises of lesser gods? And I'm not even talking like outright praising. I mean, sometimes we praise politicians and sometimes we praise money and sometimes we praise celebrities. But uh, as, as my wife talked about a couple weeks ago, anxiety is praising a lesser god because it is putting our trust in something far lesser than the one who should be trusted. And that's not a condemnation. We all struggle with anxiety, just like we all struggle with temptations to praise other things. But that's the reality of who's getting our worship. And there, that is where we have the choice of what are we going to focus on? Are we going to choose to focus our, our thoughts, our minds, our, our, our energy on those things that are the testimony of what God has done, and who God is, so that gratitude and praise are on our lips. That's a choice. That's a habit. That's a daily practice. That's a spiritual practice to where it becomes more and more and more normal. So that we're taking that weighty question of every single day, who are you going to praise? And we're giving it to God more and more. And God finds that delightful, like a sweet-smelling aroma. 
what we did this morning as we gathered in the name of Jesus under the banner of Jesus. That is the banner of all banners that gives us our primary identity. Under the lordship of Jesus, we gather and we worship. And there was a sweet-smelling aroma to God. God was delighted with the praises of his people. That is... There's so much weight to that. It's amazing. It's it's inspiring of of the purpose that we have in life. I mean, last time, last last week we were talking about purpose. And the privilege that we have at Pentecost and post-Pentecost to join in with God in the glorious privilege of serving him on his mission to see the kingdom of God advanced. And that each and every day we can be filled with, excuse me, glorious purpose to just be about the Father's business. As Matthew 28, 18 to 20 says, as you're going about daily life, just be about the Father's business. Wow, what purpose. That we get to serve the Lord every day by being about his business that he's put right in front of us. And this, this verse, this emphasis, there's another thing that fills our sails with purpose every day. And this is where we can get very practical on this. To sing to the Lord with thanks and praise is a way of serving the Lord. So if you're ever wondering and feeling purposeless, worship God. That is serving the Lord. You're made to do it. It's part of all of eternity, and it serves the Lord, and it pleases him. He delights in it. Check out this Hebrews 12.8. We already looked at Romans 12.1, which talks about, we can go back there real quick, how we offer ourselves as living sacrifices. That's all of life to worship the Lord. You can see there's two different translations there when it talks about our acceptable or pleasing worship to God. One translation says worship, some, multiple, others say service, our acceptable service to God. That's because in the Greek it's the exact same word, which is very interesting. To serve God and to worship God are the exact same thing. That's an amazing thought. That carries weight. That's a glorious thought. When we serve God, it's worshiping God. And when we worship God, it's serving God. This is seen all throughout the Old Testament as well. That's the whole priestly class was, had these rites and rituals and regulations to serve God. But it's to worship God. We see this picked up, this theme of serving God and worshiping God are the exact same thing in Hebrews 12. Actually, all throughout Hebrews as it kind of compares the Old and New Covenants and how we serve God in worship. Let's go to Hebrews 12, 28. Kind of wraps it all together. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude. Remember that theme? Thanks and praise. Let us show gratitude by which we may bring an offering to God. There it is. Bring that glory that you carry. Bring it to God as an offering. Let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God a pleasing service slash worship. 
Now, I put that in there because in the Greek, it's the exact same word. Literally the same word. You can choose <laughs> which one you want to use. Service and worship. It's the same thing. So let us show gratitude. It's all right there. By which we offer to God, we bring an offering to God. That's that Old Testament picture of you bring an offering to God of worship. That's your glory, and you bring it to God by choice, out of gratitude. You want to do it because you're so grateful for what he's done, and it is a pleasing service to God with reverence and awe. So there's the praise got the gratitude and the praise. The praise is it's that reverence and awe of God's nature, his character. So putting it all together, because of your praise of who God is, your reverence, your awe of who he is and what he's done, you're full of gratitude. So you bring an offering to God. It is a service to God. It serves God. It worships God. And what kind of worship is it? It's pleasing to God. So it's right there. It pleases God. It brings God pleasure when you focus on gratitude and praise and make an offering to him of worship. I don't know about you, but that is so weighty. The way God has set it up that it would bring God pleasure my gratitude and praise offered to God in worship is pleasing to God. It brings God pleasure. God delights when his children, in relationship with him, bask in who he is and what he's done and take that glory that he's created them with and offer it to him in thanks and praise. It pleases God. It brings God pleasure. That is the weight of worship. And to me, it fuels us with such divine purpose each and every day to sing to the Lord. Even if you can't sing, a joyful noise is great. Just turn up the music louder. But there is something, and I'm, I'm, I'm saying, don't make it an excuse that, oh, I, I worship God with my life, but I don't sing to God. God is asking for you to sing. He is saying, this is my love language. This is one of my love languages. Yes, I want your whole life, and I want you to have those noble desires that say, I will sacrifice everything for you as an offering of praise. But if that, if that matters to you, well, part of sacrificing everything is getting over your pride and saying, I want you to sing to me. Sing to me. Sing to me. I love it. Maybe that's why music is a universal language. Every tongue, tribe, and nation, where they, whether they know Jesus or not, sings somebody's praises. It's in the soul. We're made to sing. And I would argue from the Bible, the soul is not fully alive unless you're singing. We're going to be singing in heaven. He wants you to sing. He's calling you to sing. 
It is God's love language. So put down whatever hindrance, whatever pride, whatever would be holding you back saying, I don't sing. God is saying, sing to me. I love it. It pleases me. I get pleasure when you, you bring your glory and sing to me with gratitude and praise. That's who we want to be in this church when we're here and every single day out there. All right, so I'm going to sing it. No, just kidding. <laughs> you want to share something? All right, my wife's going to finish us off here, and we'll close in prayer. That was a good word. <laughs> it's so good. Um, Worship fills us up, you know? It's almost like this uh, picture of an eruption. The song is like the eruption of what is within us. You know, it's like you just, you can't help but sing to God. You can't help but sing. Um, one of my favorite quotes from someone... Um, who blessed us in many ways when we were in college, but we don't agree with, you know, everything that he says because, you know, God doesn't make, give you sickness so that you can give him glory. I don't know where you get that from the scriptures, but somehow. Anyways, um, this is a quote by John Piper, and he has an amazing book called Desiring God. And the whole point of it and his kind of crux sentence is, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. So worship and praise it's not from a place of, like, emptiness of, oh, I'm just giving God glory. It's from a place of being so satisfied in him, coming under the shelter of his wings. You know, whatever it is that you're facing or feeling, it's a place where we're so filled with him that we are overflowing, like John 7 talks about overflowing with the Holy Spirit and overflowing with praise. And um, I just felt like God gave me this uh, vision now for us as a church body. Um, and I felt like just this sense of breakthrough in the room and um, breakthrough in our lives, you know, not just for today, but as we go forward. Um, it was an image of like a champagne bottle. And there was an effervescence within it that popped the cork. The cork meaning what we need to move. The mountain we need to move. The mountain that we're crying out for. And I really feel like there is the praise builds up that pressure. And the praise moves that mountain and pops that cork. And I feel like that was just kind of like a living, active word. You know, sometimes when you're in the midst of struggles, when you're in the midst of hardships, you know, in our nation where, you know, everything in our nation is bowing down to everything but God, you know, bowing down to Satan with like, you know, giving women rights by murdering babies. What's that about, right? Um, everything's really backwards, you know, and it's kind of like 
we need a place to find refuge or even a place to dig our heels in, to sink, you know, to sink our roots in, to dig our heels in so that we can push back. But it's kind of overwhelming. It's so overwhelming. There's so much, right? It's kind of like, God, what do I even do? And I feel like um, just a specific, almost like torpedo word from the Lord that we start with worship. We start with worship. Whatever it is, whatever problem we're facing, instead of being filled with fear, which, you know, we're not saying anxiety is, we're not condemning for anxiety. I mean, let's be honest. I have anxiety every day. But the Psalms say, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. When I am afraid, I worship you over the problem. I'm going to worship you over the problem. And that's even, you know, what I'm doing this morning. There's different struggles that we're facing as a family with, you know, difficult, you know, health challenges and things like that. Or, you know, whatever it is, finances, um, whatever you're facing. And I felt like um, this morning God just said to me, you know, as I'm kind of like feeling nerve-wracked. Yeah, can you hold that? Um, about different things, I felt like he just said to me the word high praise, where I get up high and I worship him above the problem. You know, um, there, there are a lot of scriptures about that, about fear, because I want to share these because there's so much going on with fear of our world, with where it's going, with being not not being secure, not knowing what's going to happen. And I, I just want to read these um, scriptures, and I'll, I'll give you the addresses. And um, even as something that we take forth from here, and we worship him over all the problems, we declare his glory, we sing his praise. There's a reason why in um, Matthew 4, Satan really wanted Jesus to worship him. It changes the atmosphere. It establishes a, a, a rule and an authority. You know, um, when the Bible talks about you can't serve God and money, so when you serve money, you're doing everything to get it, and you're worshiping it because it's taking care of you, right? Right? all things that should belong to God. So I want to read these verses because I feel like they really kind of speak to the plight that we're in right now as a nation with so much darkness. You know, basic rights that God has given to each person to be able to choose even what they put in their bodies um, are being revoked or attempting to be revoked, and it's important that we stand up and we fight for those things that are our God-given rights. You know that it, we're. It's important that we partner with the Holy Spirit to take action. It's about prayer, which is powerful action, and it's about Holy Spirit-led action, which also is worship, partnering with Him to bring His kingdom. Um, so I'm going to read these scripture verses. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's Isaiah 41. 10, verse 10. Isaiah 41, verse 10. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Hebrews 13, 5 to 6. 
For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. 2 Timothy 1.7. Um, and I'll end with this one. Be strong and courageous. Do not be fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord, your God, who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Deuteronomy 31.6. So he is with us for victory. And I feel like there are two kind of focal points here. As we worship him over the problems, as we say, you are Lord, you are God, I declare your praise, I trust in you, and, and, and we declare what his will is. You know, he created us in Matthew, Matthew 6, we talk about this all the time, your kingdom come, your will be done, which is actually, you know, more properly translated as um, arrive now, kingdom of yours. So we are partnering with him as we see all of the impossibles, as we see all of the things that are not his kingdom, and we're saying, come now, arrive now, kingdom of yours. Be done now, will of yours, or come into being now, will of yours. And we're, we're worshiping him in agreement, worshiping him, saying yes and amen. And I just, as we worship him over all of the obstructions that the enemy has put our way and all of the strongholds as we worship him, just saying, you are God, you are God, you are God. I just feel like that there's a specific word from God that as you take, as you go forward in life, in, as we step out from this point, as we choose to worship, which not only brings the light, it brings the light to our God, and it satisfies our soul. It's everything that we need. That that worship becomes an effervescence that will pop that cork of whatever needs to be broken through. Yeah. So, God, we just thank you. We thank you that you just delight in us. Um, we thank you that you, you sing over us. Zephaniah says you sing over us with gladness. You dance over us, <laughs> almost violently, because you're so happy. Let that, Lord, fill our souls that you love us so much that you are for us. If God is for us, who can be against us? And let us sing over everything that is in our way, everything that comes our way, and everything that would seek to exalt itself above you. Every fear, every foreboding, let us sing, Lord. And as we sing, we praise you, God, that we will see the walls fall down, that we will see the armies fall, that as we take your hands and take the action steps that you lead us to, and many of those steps are praise as we bring Delight to your heart. There, there is so much power in worship. There is so much power. We not only bring delight to your heart, but you are enthroned on the praises of your people, and we fill the earth with your presence as we praise you. You are literally enthroned here upon the earth. How blessed are we that we can bring delight 
to your soul. And that it's all one and the same. That is, we are satisfied in you. That there is, that there is, as we give you all of our glory, that there is nothing more, nothing greater than we can taste. And so, God, we just thank you that you are the God of glory, that you have created us in your image, that we are your children of glory. You have put your glory within us. And, God, we thank you that as we step forth and as we give that glory back to you, as we pour it out, it's just as we pour out that song you're singing over us, as we sing it back to you, we sing it back to you, we worship you above all else, God, we just thank you that there will be a raining, a literal like rain from heaven falling as that champagne bottle pops, the enemy is disarmed, and this earth is filled with your praise. Make us people of praise, Lord. Take it deeper. Take this truth deeper. This truth deeper. God, fill us with revelation this week. Teach us to drink of you, to drink of your praise. As we praise, we're drinking in you. And as we praise, the enemy is defeated. As we praise, we have everything we need and everything we are made for because we are most satisfied in you. There is nothing like you. So God, we ask that you would give us even more of your Holy Spirit of revelation, that you would show us who you are, that we would take delight as we go forward from here, praising you in every moment. And we thank you, Lord, that as we praise you, we will see your kingdom rain down on earth so that you can be given even more worship because this is your earth and we're singing it back to you. Yeah, in Jesus' name. Dance a new dance now.